Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Every single brand out there, CPG, FMG, you name it, everyone is going in the same direction. And if you really start thinking about it and you get your juices flowing, you will see that actually there's a lot that can be done, starting with the concept of building up a brand, but also building up a community, making consumers connect with you, being relevant in culture and having amazing products. And then, you know, if you go from acquisition, engagement, retention, you can have all those different phases as long as you have a reason to establish a dialogue with the consumer. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. You know, when we started the show three years ago, it really felt like every other episode we were talking about digital transformation. And when I'm looking at, you know, our recent episodes in the past year, we really haven't spoken about it. Let's put another layer of complexity on it. Many of those conversations were people at BevAlk Brands, which typically has been operating the same way for so long. So I think the combination of the pandemic and these people in digital transformation were just kind of trailblazing in many ways. It was a Wayne Dwan from Constellation, Wayne Blum from Diageo, William from PBR, Stu from Pernod. There were so many stories about it. And I think one of the reasons why we don't talk about it as much anymore is that there's a perception that, oh, we've transformed. And you know what? We haven't. We actually haven't. In fact, Profitero is going to be coming out with a report in a couple of weeks, and I don't want to give away too much, but we surveyed hundreds of of e-com leaders around the world. And 63% of the respondents said that they had gone through one to two reorgs related to e-com in the past two years, and 40% believed that the change could have been handled better. Hmm. So there's a lot of talk about digital transformation, but how much of this is really sticking? And how much of this is really operational behavioral and not just like org chart merry-go-round? I'm curious to learn from the 60% where it went right. <laughs> Those are the people we have on the show, right? Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, talk about people we have on the show. We're about to bring on the global head of digital from Mark Anthony Brands, AKA the proud owner of White Claw and Creator. And they've been going through massive digital transformation as the category has also gotten really, really crowded. 
So on that note, let's bring Nunu onto the show. Today, we are super excited to have Nuno Pedro, the global head of digital of Mark Anthony Brands, onto the show. Hey, Nuno, how's it going? So far, so good. Happy to join Rachel and Sarah. Great to be here. And you're hailing from Lisbon, right? Correct. That's the place that I call home. So I, I lived some years abroad, but came back about three years ago. I came back to Lisbon and that's where I'm based. But I do travel a little bit to, to the different offices for, for our Mark Anthony group. Well, obviously, U.S. tourism has boomed in Lisbon, so I'm sure you see plenty of us come through. You know, looking at your career, you've moved from technology platforms to consulting practices, then to brand side, then to technology, and now you're back to brand. And when you think about your career, what's been the unified thread that's really brought all of these experiences together? Yeah. It is definitely a, a strange career where I moved to different areas that might sound a, a little bit not similar to each other. But but if I'm honest with you, I, I, I think it's a career that I'm actually quite proud of. And in this particular case, the stranger, the better. So I've, I've started with um, hardcore object-oriented programming, then spent some year in consulting, then moved over to the brand side, then to technology and then back to brand. There's actually two common denominators across all these different uh, facets. So multiple roles, multiple different geographies. But the two key common denominators are basically one, uh, the passion for figuring out how does technology help solve complex business problems. So really knowing the depths of a uh, technical solution, but being able to actually understand what use cases, what business value can we generate from it. So that's one. And the second common thing is there has been multiple times in my career where I kind of feel, oh, yeah, well done, Nunu, you have made it. Uh, and that's the, about the time that I start thinking about the next challenge, the next learning, the, the next endeavor that I want to be part of. So, yeah, so those would be probably the, the two common themes uh, across the whole of my career. I think it's pretty extraordinary when you look at it, especially given some of the different companies that you've worked for and the kind of challenges and opportunities that are unique to Mark Anthony brands versus let's say some of your other roles, comparing it to, I guess you're in Lisbon, so we'll say it like you say it, Adidas versus let's say now. So Adidas, you've got great D2C insights, great retailer integrations, smart digital, very full funnel and very interconnected. Come to Mark Anthony Brands, which, by the way, we didn't even like contextualize for those who aren't as familiar with Parent, but certainly are enjoyers of those iconic brands themselves. Whether that's the fact that you guys basically invented the hard seltzer category with White Claw, Mike's Hard Lemonade, some of the others. When you move into alcohol, the role of digital is critical from an influence perspective, but educating people on the journey as to what it takes in order to get there, very, very different. So. As you've moved into this role, how do you approach, as global head of digital, how do you approach both education, immersion, and action? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, one thing is to work for a brand that has a very big, solid direct-to-consumer channel, and it's all interconnected. And, you know, you can actually follow the full consumer lifecycle. And you can understand with some challenges, of course, you can actually attribute the sale to a given specific channel, to a given marketing initiative. That's challenging, but doable. <laughs> now, when you apply this same concept to a non-traditional D2C brand, 
So take any uh, uh, CPG, FMG, and, and also in the BEV ALK industry. I mean, Mark and Danny Group, we do things in a different way, especially BEV ALK in the US with the three-tier system. So we do not know the full journey of the consumer. And therefore, so before accepting the job, that, that was one of my key thoughts. Oh my God, how am I going to demonstrate value? Why should I do this? Actually, in a D2C setting, it's so much easier. But that was exactly the trigger point for me was, number one, observing that, I mean, every single brand out there, CPG, FMG, you name it, everyone is going in the same direction. And if you really start thinking about it, then you get your juices flowing. You will see that actually there's a lot that can be done, starting with the concept of building up a brand, but also building up a community making consumers connect with you, being relevant in culture and having amazing products. And then, you know, if you go from acquisition, engagement, retention, you can have all those different phases as long as you have a reason to establish a dialogue with the consumer. And then if that's the case, then you can still get a lot of interesting data points and you can establish a solid amount of commercial opportunities based on those data points. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, you know, building up a digital ecosystem, investing in the right tools that do make a difference, that do help us drive a lot of value cases, and then making sure that we have a reason for consumers to connect with us as a brand, and of course, making the most out of the data that we get from them. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast. So you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Last night, I read an article about your former employer, Adidas. Yep. It's in Marketing Weekly. Essentially, they said, we've realized we've invested too much in lower funnel. And they had to move back up in the funnel to essentially reestablish brand in culture. Yep. And they saw that by doing that, it actually drove a larger sales lift. So here you are right now at Mark Anthony Brands, and you're living out that playbook. Very much so. I, I, I think from my perspective, it's not one or the other, right? So if you go too much towards brand upper funnel, then you performance ends up, oh, we'll get there. But when will you get there? And you start having commercial pressure, right? 
versus if you put too much money investment in bottom of the funnel, then yeah, probably you'll hit the short term commercial goals. But what are you doing to your brand? Do you want to compete in price? Regardless of the company, whether it's Adidas or Mark Anthony Group, I would advocate for really a full funnel approach where it's more about the consumer occasions, the moments that you want to connect with those consumers. The more you understand with the consumers, also the more relevant you can become. And and what, what are top funnel occasions for some consumers might actually be mid or lower funnel occasions for some other consumers, right? So it's all about the mix. It's all about learning as you go, adjusting and adapting. But, you know, there there's no silver bullet there. You made a comment when you joined Mark Anthony Brands. You were like, how am I going to demonstrate value because there's a lack of data? Now, here you are. You're nearly two years into your role. What have been the core building blocks to transform the organization digitally? Yeah, I think step one was really taking a good long look at the current status quo, understanding the company, understanding the business, and not assuming that, oh, I've done it before and I have a magic solution that will also work in this particular case. So I think every company is a company, every business is a business. So starting there, then I was fortunate enough to be given a, a green light, really set up a digital organization, hire the people that you need to hire. So I've, I've done that successfully as well. And then in parallel with that, start defining what are the key use cases, what are the key initiatives. Some of those initiatives require new technology, what new technology is needed. Some other use cases we can start executing right now and how do we measure success on those. And then looking at the, a long enough plan so knowing that the plan cannot be the same for three or five years, but the level of investment, the level of commitment should be there for a good number of years so that you can actually transform the company. The last thing that I would say is really starting, getting going, testing, learning, failing fast, but also learning even faster. And, you know, being able to showcase some initial results to build the confidence up in the organization. And then slowly but surely increase your consumer buys, get more data points, make media more efficient, partner with some key technology solutions to really increase your footprint when it comes to uh, e-tailers and partner commerce. And those, I would say, are probably some of the, the key initiatives that we're working on. Let's dive into that to a slight degree in terms of the footprint. When you guys got into White Claw, I mean, like I said, you, you basically invented the category. You did some absolutely extraordinary things. And it's practically synonymous to the point of comparing it to a Kleenex or something like that. Not to date myself, but the beauty of digital and the risk of digital, especially for category leaders or category dominance, is that the digital shelf is an endless shelf. And so as you're thinking through all of these different parts with expanding your footprint on e-tail and all that other stuff, how do you think about the risk of upstarts kind of getting into your space when the barrier to entry digitally is so much lower than it is, let's just say, in the three-tier system? Absolutely. And I think we did invent the category. So it, it was a product that did not exist. We created it with specific product attributes and always with one key differentiation element which is flavor. So so if you look at any other company out there, I, I would say that we are leading edge in technology, patents, processes, 
everything around flavor. We have been doing that for the last 50 years, right? So we have developed technology that no one else has. So if you try the product, I mean, it's very likely that you'll actually like it, right? And that's why, you know, when, when this came out, maybe it was the, the, the right time, the right product to meet uh, an unmet need from, from consumers, which was, I think everyone remembers the first time that they drank beer. I mean, I, I would argue that most people would probably don't really like it, but it's a habit that you it grows on you, right? Whereas with hard seltzer, it's slightly different, right? So zero carbs, zero calories, and really being able to to really do a, a, a better for you or tapping into a better for you mindset with the consumers that existed at that point in time. And that generated a little bit of a gold rush. Um, so with uh, thousands of SKUs, hundreds of brands competing in the hard seltzer space, which ultimately caused a lot of confusion and, and consumers ended up being a little bit like, mm, I'm trying these hard seltzer products. These are really not that great. So all of a sudden, hard seltzer started to go into this uh, uh, plateauing or even decline. And if you think about it, this was exactly what happened for energy drinks. And what happened later in energy drinks was a big consolidation where you ended up having a handful of players that dominate the market. Everyone else that is curious and want to make the most out of the gold rush, eventually they leave the market. And this is exactly what we're observing, that that we are in a, a consolidation phase. And, you know, if we had a, a stronger digital department to begin with, I think we would probably be able to understand better the phenomenon and to replicate the conditions for the phenomenon uh, because we have a lot more data and analyzing a lot more data. But I, I think now we are in a, a solid position to really looking at our portfolio. So it's not only White Claw. I mean, you see a big spike in consumption of Cayman Jack. You have other promising brands in, in, in the, the horizon. And then going back to the differentiation on products, so we do have that. And now we have a digital center of excellence that can really support the product launch, new to world innovation, testing, learning, and then scaling it and creating more and more White Claws out there. In the US, where obviously Sarah and I live, we know the market you're talking about, right? We walk into a bodega or a grocery store and you you see the competition. Outside of the US, is the hard seltzer category as crowded? Funnily enough, it actually became very crowded as well. So this gold rush was not something exclusive to the US. So, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, um, areas, categories where you have triple digit growth year on year. So there was a lot of interest in, in countries like Germany, like uh, the Nordics, a lot of different places. But again, the story repeats itself. So a lot of players go in, relatively low quality products, consumers drink it. They don't necessarily like it all that much. They pull back. Category goes down a little bit. These players that are just there to take the opportunity, they pull back as well. The solid players that really invest in this as a core business, those will stay. Now, also answering your question, what, what we also observe is in countries where there's a, a big Anglo-Saxonic influence, people are kind of familiar with the concept, they know what it is. In some other countries, uh, not so much. And, and there you need to educate, right? You need you need the, the time, the effort to become present, be on, on in the on-trade channel and really uh, be at events and build up a brand. And when people try it and, and, and with a lot of sampling and can enhance, all of a sudden there we, we see a, a pickup of momentum in countries like the UK and some other countries in Europe where sales are beginning to pick up exactly because, you know, people are getting more and more used to, to the concept of hard sourcing. 
Well, let me ask you a question. What's your favorite drink of choice? I actually very much like White Claw uh, Surf, which has a little bit stronger flavor. So I, I, I like the stronger flavor. And I would also say that the Cayman Jack 0% sugar, that, that's also dangerously good. Yes. <laughs> I like dangerously good. That sounds like a, a motto of how somebody should live. <laughs> Before we go to our final question, I wanted to ask you just something a little bit more semi-personal, if you will. What was the first job you ever had that paid you money? Yep. Not necessarily first job out of university. Like, what is the first job you ever did? Because like, you've got a lot of hustle in you. And I'm so curious as to like, what, where did you start? Like, what was it a paper route? Was it like selling beers off the back of your bicycle? Like, what was it? I wouldn't call it a job. So the first time I got paid for doing stuff, my grandparents have a, a small farm uh, in, in the the rural area of Portugal. And, and you know, it, it's a hard life, right? So live off the land. So they used to live off the land. And w- when I was still a kid, but strong enough, then I would go to the grapes season, the olive season, and I would help them. I mean, I would carry the, the big, heavy <laughs> uh, uh, weights and, and they would pay me for it. So that was kind of, I wouldn't call it a job, but that was the first time I, I got some money if I wanted to do something in my vacations. I guess my first real job was, as I told you before, as a, a, a hardcore uh, um, object-oriented programmer. So doing, uh, at that point in time, the equivalent to, uh, um, you know, Alexa or, or Siri. So the equivalent of that to control devices in your house. As it was part of the, the final thesis in the degree, then then I, I didn't even get paid. Um, so that, that was interesting. So first off-the-books job was your grandparents. Off-the-books job was my <laughs> Well, Nuno, we have to ask you our famous last question, which is, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? There's actually two, and and they all start in the same place, which is with my wife being pregnant. I don't know if it's correlated, uh, you know, but so first time uh, um, I I made the decision to leave um, a very solid job in, in Portugal's biggest telco operator at that point in time to become a freelancer and travel over to Macedonia and Prague and Budapest and, and Bratislava and leaving my, uh, I mean, I would come back on the weekend, but she was alone. So it was a big risk, 27, uh, managing a team of 70 people, a budget of over 10 million euros. So it was really a big leap for me. And then uh, um, a little bit more recently, but already a good number of years ago, my wife was pregnant for the second time. I also decided to start an executive MBA, which was very time consuming. At the same time as we were moving houses, because we we had bought a house in Germany. And at the same time as I got promoted as well, which met a whole different job. So all these those three things combined. I mean, it was a brave decision and, and, and I, I even get tired just to think about it nowadays. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's what you take out of life, right? So the learnings, the experience, and, and no one can take that away from, from you. So... You only regret what you don't do. So if you and your wife were to have another child, you're going to do some other crazy thing. I think the chances of that happening are quite low. <laughs> so fortunately, uh, um, I think we're, we're good with two kids. So that's, that's, that's fine for us. Well, thank you for sharing, for providing your perspective. Obviously, all eyes are constantly on what Mark Anthony Brands is going to do next in terms of category disruption. And we can't wait to see that come to life digitally as well. Super. Thank you. Fascinating to always hear how massive companies are approaching digital transformation. 
you know, the alcohol category is one that clearly Sarah and I love to talk about. And if you want to understand what's happening in the landscape, one, you can go check out an episode from earlier this year, Lewis Broadnack of Sazerac, or you can go check out a more recent episode from Andrew Katz of Athletic Brewing, who's leading the NA market. We hope you enjoy nerding out on this topic. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend, write a review, give us a like. See you next week. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.